I'll tell you what this hamster wheel is about and how to get off because it's all based on this false premise that most of us are living by that happiness is in the thing. Welcome to the Unlocking Happiness Podcast. I'm Amy Dix, international best-selling author, speaker, and founder of Choose Happy. Collectively, our community builds a better world. I believe life is made up of moments. We have short moments, long moments, good moments and bad moments. We make sure that all of your life moments are filled with meaning and joy. Stick around to the end of the show. We'll reveal how you can be our next guest on the internet's happiest podcast. Now let's unlock happiness. Hello, all you crazy happy people out there. My name is Amy Dix, and this is another episode of Unlocking Happiness. Today, we have the complete honor of Unlocking Happiness with Amy Alisa Wong. She is a certified executive coach who has devoted more than 20 years to the study and practice of helping others live and lead on purpose. She works with some of the biggest names in tech and offers transformational leadership development and internal communication strategies to executives and teams. And she, her latest book is called Living on Purpose. No surprise there. Uh, five deliberate choices to realize fulfillment and joy. Welcome to the show, my fellow Amy. Woo. Thank you for having me. I love your energy. I'm so happy to be here. We're going to have fun. That's so great because, you know, I was thinking the same thing and we chatted just a little bit here before the show and I'm like, oh, I love this woman. Like, and it's so funny because you're standing up. I'm standing up. Right. I mean, your name's are... Amy. My <laughs> name's Amy. Like we got so much going for us. Here. We have so much going for us. And, uh, you know, most people, when they do podcasts or on video, they're always just like sitting down and I'm like, as a speaker, I'm like, hey, like, let's stand up. If you're going to speak, like, use it as a stage and let's speak, you know? That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, We're doing it. <laughs> yes. So little little tip out there for anyone who is doing podcasts themselves or um, any kind of speaking virtually, like, stand up, figure it out. Stop sitting at your desk. Your energy will change and you will be better for it. But we're not here today to talk about speaking, of course, although you do some speaking on your oh, own. I, yeah. Well, I do speaking and I do a, a lot of public speaking coaching, presentation coaching, because communication, all things communication really is my expertise. And so all of that's on the table. So we, we could dive <laughs> deep into that, Amy, too. Oh, man, we should, maybe we can. Um, maybe not on this episode. Maybe we'll have you back or we Part can two. do it on a sister <laughs> on a sister show with my other company, Authority Speakers Agency. There's all there kinds of things we could talk there. But today we're going to talk about living on purpose. And, you know, I think a lot of people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Live on purpose. Got it. You know, but how many of us are really just going through life and like getting through the day, you know? Yeah. So how can we kind of change or shift so that it's really more meaningful and more purposeful? And we're going to get into that. So, yeah. but I want to know, like, this is a very interesting topic and one that I don't think that you just like come to life on and be like, I'm going to write a book about living on purpose. Like there's a story. There's got to be a story here, right? So what's your story? Like why is this an interesting topic for you? Oh, well, it is the ultimate topic for me. (laughs) And it really starts at a young age where, I mean, gosh, as early as five years old, 
I mean, I, I think that was my first out-of-body experience. And I was just, so, I've been so enamored with the big questions about life. Why are we here? What does it mean to thrive? And, you know, starting at a young age, I, I was really quite spiritual. I stumbled upon Thich Nhat Hanh, the Buddhist monk in fifth grade, and just devoured his work and started meditating and, you know, in high school and just so hungry for just that, the bigger conversations and you know, I just found so much passion in that. I ended up also falling in love with mathematics. And so I studied math at UC Berkeley and ended up being quite technical. And it's funny because, you know, back then it just, I couldn't get enough of that either. It didn't make too much sense. And now it's, now it's at this point in my life, I look back and I'm like, oh, of course, now I get it, of course. But then it was, you know, just obsessed with, with that. So I ended up being really rather technical in the first part of my life. But you know, when I blended this love of just understanding humanity and really caring for what it meant to mm. just what it means to to live a realized life with math, it's interesting. And with my strengths, I realized pretty early that I am fascinated with how people perceive the world at hand and ended up realizing I'm really good at teaching. So I was teaching, I also play piano. So I was teaching at a you know piano studio I was renting as in high school and I taught. I had a math tutoring business in high school and I, so I taught math and at Berkeley, I was teaching math for, you know, for calculus 1A and 1B as an undergraduate. And I was always in these facilitation roles. Mm. I just loved it. And, and it wasn't so much the transmission of the content that really lit me up. What really let me up was being able to partner with someone or be with someone and really intimately hear what it was that they didn't know that they didn't know. Mm. And I could hear that in their argument. I could hear it in their logic. I could hear it in their body language. And, and it was being able to discover what it was that they didn't know that they didn't know that was keeping them from asking the right question. That That's what lit me up. And so I started to really discern that end of high school, college. And so when I entered into the workforce, I started working at Sun Microsystems at 18 years old. And so I threw myself right into tech and I was there for 10 years. And so I would always end up in these roles where I was really exercising that ability, mm-hmm. but not directly. It was really rather indirect, but I'll tell you, it was just in all of these conversations of discernment. It was after my first child was born, who's now 14, that I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not living the life I'm meant to lead. Like mm-hmm. I'm not living all of me. So I had this big breakdown of which I, I, I talk about my book because that was the catalyst for where Living on Purpose came from. And I, I, I massive epiphany. And I woke up to, wait, whoa, there's this whole other side to me that I'm not attending to. So I went back and I got my master's in transpersonal psychology, having no clue what I was going to do with it. It just yeah. sounded fascinating, had to study it. And then the two together, math, the rigorous study of math, you know, and being able to understand, discern patterns and make sense of things that are really hard to make sense of. And then to understand the world, you know, through this very nonlinear way to transpersonal psychology. It was like, whoa, this lended itself perfectly to coaching. So that was in 2010. And then coaching found me and then boom, it just, uh, it took off. It was as if everything I've ever done made sense. And it was over a series of, many, 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 many conversations, coaching conversations that I was started to pick out these themes. Oh my gosh, these are the fundamental ways in which we hold ourselves back and don't even know it. Mm -hmm. And again, I was pulling on 
that skill I have being able to hear and discern what it is that people don't know that they don't know. And these very, very clear, clear themes just kept popping up. And it was around 2014 that I knew exactly what this book needed to be. But I also knew in 2014, I, it wasn't time to write it because I was still in the process of getting research and getting the client stories. And, and so it wasn't until 2019, it's like, I just knew, okay, it's time. <laughs> Got to get this book out in the world. This is because it helps people. And so that's really, that's how this, how that's how it all came to be. Yeah. Awesome. Wow. What a journey. What a great story. I feel like somewhere along the way, um, you may have experienced, which a lot of it's a very hot topic right now, which is imposter syndrome. And oh, so yeah. tell us when that kind of came in, what that looked like for you and how, how, how you overcame uh, it. Yeah. I'm so glad you're asking this question because <laughs> that's really, that's a part of the heartbeat of this book is really understanding what imposter syndrome is because that's one of the most fundamental ways in which we're holding ourselves back. And I felt it big time at various points in my life, you know, as I'm walking across the stage at Cal to get my degree, I'm like, wait, did I really do this? Like, I think <laughs> I got them all fooled. Like, I really don't know what the heck I'm doing. And I'm like, ah, I don't belong here. And so, you know, I think every everybody feels this self-doubt at some point, but it's self-inflicted. We're yeah. taking this on. So what imposter syndrome is, it's a belief about self that is of lack and so it's a self-belief that is, it's false, 100%. We think it's accurate, but it's not, that mm -hmm. we're either inadequate, not good enough, don't belong. There, there's something missing, that we are not fully complete as we are, that we don't belong in the situation. And it is a belief we take on in order to stay safe. Uh, and yeah. so I really break this down in the book, but in all of my research, and this is where it gets fascinating, so I'll just give you a teaser. It's it all stems from this very primal, fundamental fear of rejection that all of us humans have. And it's a neuro neurobiologically, we are programmed to avoid rejection like we avoid the plague, but we aren't taught that. And so this that right there is an unconscious driver of many of the beliefs that we take on. And so in short form. It's a belief we take on to stay safe so that we don't get found out. It's insidious and we all struggle with it at times. And it's it's no fun. <laughs> and no so, fun. so somebody listening right now is like, yeah, I, I'm completely going through that right now. Where, where do they start? Like, how do they start to kind of break that process? Oh, my gosh. Well, first, get the book, Living on Purpose. <laughs> because That's right. it, start there. <laughs> start there because I'm, uh, you know, I kind of take you through a step-by-step -step process that's, that details a bit of a roadmap to break free from false perception. And so let's just name it. Imposter syndrome is false perception. It doesn't feel false. It feels real. Mm. But the truth is, is it's false. But we take it on. And we assume it to be true in order to stay safe. And so, you know, one of the quickest ways to get to the heart of the of the root of how we hold ourselves back is to ask this question of yourself. And you have to answer it super honestly from your survival brain. You cannot let your logical brain override the answer. OK, OK, so here's the question. The question is, what are you most afraid other people would either find out, decide, or think about you. 
Mm. What are you most afraid others are going to think about you? What are you most afraid others are going to find out about you? Now, really let that question sink in and don't let your brilliant logical mind say, mm, yeah, well, yeah, I thought, it, yeah, no, I'm fine. I, I nothing, nothing. Like, well, actually, there's something there in the survival brain and it might sound something like, gosh, that I'm not smart enough or that I'm actually, I don't belong or that I'm not worthy or that I'm not good enough. Because whatever you answer with, that feels icky for a moment before your logical brain goes, yeah, but here's why you're, that's not true. That's still live for you. And that's there. And that's just a sign that that's what you believe about yourself. Yeah. Deep down. And in order to start making movement in the direction of freedom, we have to see very clearly, well, what is it that we're doing that's holding ourselves underwater? And to get to that, the root right there is critical in breaking free. Yes. Oh man. Boom. There you go. <laughs> that was so great. And also you mentioned the book. So I want to also direct folks to your yeah. website. Of course, I'm, they can get the book on Amazon, but you can also find it at alwaysonpurpose.com. So That's alwaysonpurpose.com. Right. What a great domain name. Hold on to that oh. Thank you. Yeah. Probably yeah. worth some money here uh, if you want to hold on to it for a little while. <laughs> well, I, you know what? I, that, so I have, that is such a tremendous story on how I came to that name. And then it was okay. So, Amy, you and I started this conversation before we even started rolling. That yeah. I was in Mexico just last week. Yeah. I was in Mexico in 2010 <laughs> and I was working out. And then all of a sudden, I just out of these synchronistic, it hit me that's the name of your practice. Uh, and I literally flew off the machine. I'm like, that's it. It's always on purpose. And I ran back to the hotel room and I checked it for the domain was, yep. was open. I'm like, I'm kidding. <laughs> so I've trademarked it since. And I'm like, yeah, go. this is <laughs> 10 years later, 10 years later. Yeah, that's, that's right. Awesome. That's, no, that's right. I mean, I'm not a domain. Well, maybe I'm slightly a domain junkie, but not really. But um, <laughs> I had someone on the show. I think she was on the show or maybe she was one of our speakers, but her domain is like cheerful.com or something. And I'm like, wow. I don't know how you got that. But like keep it. Yeah. She's <laughs> like, I got it in 2001 yeah. when GoDaddy just launched. Uh, I love it. I love it. Always on purpose. I love your story too, because I feel like talking about, you know, being like having a meaningful moment or a moment on purpose is like, that was a moment on purpose, you know, oh, yeah. there you are. And it just came to you and it was so right. And the timing was, you know, probably couldn't have been better. And a decade later, here we are. So here we are. Exactly. Here we are. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like a lot of times when we talk about purpose and meaning, it kind of lends itself to this conversation of high achievers because high achievers tend to, if we look at the life of a high achiever, we can check all the boxes, right? Yeah. Like, oh, they're an author. Check. Oh, they're, you know, whatever, a creative check. Oh, they have their masters. Check. Like whatever it is, whatever that list mm -hmm. is, right? Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of times it lends itself to that. But then like the deeper conversation, and, and this can go beyond high achievers, but then the deeper conversation is like, what if we have all of those boxes checked, but yet we still feel like something's oh. missing? I mean, how many of us have gone through that, that situation? And this is the prevailing conversation with so many of my clients. Like my life looks great on paper. Why do I feel so hollow? Yes. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. you know, I got the promotion, but I'm, I'm already searching for what's next. I'm already planning for the next promotion. It's like, wow. It's like, I'm, it's, it's just, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not yeah. Enough. 
Yeah. yeah. Have you ever felt that too, Amy? Of course. I mean, of course, yeah. as you're talking, I'm going back in my mind going, when were all those things for me, you know? And, yeah. and for me, it's like this constant search for that purpose, right? For that yeah. meaning. Now, as I stand today at age 40, I feel like I'm very, very, very close, you know, doing yeah. some really great things. And, and I feel super honored to be able to get to do what I get to do. And I will tell you that the life that I lead right now is not the life that I thought I was going to lead oh, right. in 15, 20 years ago. You know? <laughs> that's you wanna, right. Yeah, that's you right. want to talk about purpose. Like, I feel like now we're on to something, you know? That's Whereas right. Before yeah. we were um, just going through, the old Amy uh, was going through the day-to-day, just trying to accomplish everything that she could possibly accomplish, which right. I'm probably a little bit of that <laughs> still today. But um but there is like that under layer of purpose and meaning in my life yeah. that I think was lacking before. So, oh, but yeah. and you help people yeah. do this, you know, like oh, I yeah. needed you 10 years ago. <laughs> I needed you. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. I know. Well, I'm so glad we're here today. Right. It, and, and this is such a big conversation and I'm glad you bring this up because a lot of people actually unknowingly struggle with this. They don't even realize oh. that they're on this like, subtle hamster wheel, always kind of like, what's next? What's next? What's next? Not really quite present with what is and kind of searching for what's next, trying to fill a hole. And that's really what it feels like. It's like, we're trying to fill a hole. We're trying to get to the sense of completeness with what we're up to. And so what we say to ourselves is, oh, well, I'm a high achiever. And so I'm, I'm all about growth. I'm all about achievement. And that's what I'm about. And I'm just, it's about, it's just about creating and doing the next and doing my best work. And I'm like, that's sure that no doubt that that's true. But I'll tell you what this hamster wheel is about and how to get off because it's all based on this false premise that most of us are living by that happiness is in the thing. And so the first choice in my book, spoiler alert here, the first choice (laughs) in my book is it's choose to feel it out. Don't figure it out Mm. now. And here's why this is so important because everything. Now here's what we're not taught in school. And here's what I wish we were taught in school or when we're taught young, everything we want, whether it's to start a podcast, whether it's to start a business, whether it's to retire, whether it's a big lump of money, whether it's to get married, it's not for the thing. We want it because we think it's going to make us feel a certain way. Mm. What we want is a feeling. I mean, check this out. I, you know where this came to me? I remember it started to come to me when I was writing my thesis in my in my master's degree. And it was this idea. It's like, you know, gosh, so many of us humans, like I'm thinking of, of women because I'm a woman, but like men as well. Like you're going to go off on vacation. Let's talk about Mexico again, right? So you're going to go off on vacation. You're like, okay, I want to look amazing in this bikini. So I am going to diet and I'm going to work out and I'm going to do all the things and I'm so I can look great in this bikini. And so what we, what we think is that what we want is that number on the scale. What we think is what we want and that number on that size uh, uh, in, in the shorts, you know, or whatever it might be. But that's not true. You want the mental freedom that comes with not worrying about how you look yes. in your bikini. You want spaciousness. You want freedom. You don't want a number. And so if you, I mean, check this out with everything you think you want. It's not the thing. It's the feeling. That yes. you think you would have as a result of the thing. Okay, so that's a truth. And so here we are. We are now operating not by that truth. We are now operating by, I want to think. And that I think comes from this conditioning we go through in school, which is get good grades, 
so you can get into a good high school, so you can get into a good college, you get a good college, so you can get a good job, get a good job, so you can make lots of money, make lots of money, so then you can be happy. So we put all of our eggs in the thing basket, which is, all right, achieve the thing, achieve the thing to make other people happy, to do the thing, to follow the formula so that then you've got a good life. And so what happens is we get really good at figuring out how to achieve the thing. Hmm. And we don't ask ourselves and we don't take the full map all the way and say, well, wait a minute, why do I want the thing? What is it that I really want? It's not the thing. What do I want to feel? And so because we don't ultimately take it all the way, we stop at the thing. So now we're like, okay, I'm going to get the thing. So we go get the thing. And we're like, wait, hold on. What's next? Okay. That didn't work. Okay. But we don't know why it's not working. So it must be that. It must be the next job. It must be this. It must be a move. I, I want to move. To, and so we keep going and keep going and we get really good at checking stuff off a box, the, you know, off our list, mm-hmm. but we never feel fulfilled. And it's only because we're not bringing into this equation. What is it for? What do you ultimately want to feel. And the moment you start asking yourself that question, what do I want to feel? Not what do I want, but what do I want to feel? The landscape changes. Yeah. Your options start to change. Perspective starts to come into your, your reality where you're like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe I can feel that now. Maybe actually that, you know, because here's the thing. And I'll just last thing I'll say, <laughs> how many of us high achievers end up chasing the thing totally contradicting the feeling that we're after. Mm. This happens all the time. I was just talking to someone yesterday, a client, and, you know, he's going for something really, really big and, you know, next big leap in his life work-wise. And it sounds phenomenal. Sounds, sounds like a good idea, Yeah, but it's completely counter to his biggest aspirations on the kind of life he wants to live. It's like, wow, you really want to take that at that company? Okay. Well, Okay, but let, let's let's weigh what this is really. Huh, okay. Yeah. But I mean, let, let's look at what you really want. And so, and it's a, again, big conversation. Yeah. So, what do you want to feel instead of say it again? There's two. F's. You want feel it out. Don't Not, figure, don't figure it, out. it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Feel it out. Don't figure it out. You know. Mm-hmm. I mean, naturally, I think this lends itself to a really good emotional intelligence conversation. And you actually mentioned it earlier too about hey, I wish we were taught this in school. Yeah. <laughs> we, you know, we weren't or whatever. I don't I don't have any children. You have children, you can tell me. But, yeah. um, you know, I don't know if the, the landscape is changing in what we do teach at a young age. But, you know, I can, whether it's school or not, I mean, at home, we should be teaching, yeah. right, our children this. And I'm going to just love on my nephew and my brother for a moment because they do such a good job. I mean, that little boy, he's six years old and he has more emotional intelligence than a lot of adults I know. And it all really kind of started at home. But I think, wow, this little guy is set up so well for life, Mm -hmm. not from the check the boxes, right? Not from that, but from, I mean, he can be, but, but from the fact that like he gets it at a different level like he feels things he can communicate his feelings he understands how to get through his feelings good and bad how to hold on to the good feeling like all the things anyway that you kind of touched on it and like how do we start this conversation you're helping you know adults executives Mm -hmm. high performers 
how do we start this conversation at even a younger age, right? And yeah. so when they get there, not saying that they wouldn't need you, of course, but yeah. <laughs> when they get there, they yeah. can be there, you know, and they, that's can, right. they can be that's right. where you get your clients today. So that's right. That's that, right. Yeah. Yeah. And it just world. starts with realizing that there's nothing wrong with emotions. Like the poor emo- our, these, our emotions are information. It's it's a natural part of our the human process. There's yeah. nothing wrong with them. And they've been demonized. It's like, oh, you know, you can't be emotional at work. You can't be, you know, don't be emotional. Hold it in or don't, you don't do this at the table, you know? And it's like, gosh, their emotions are, it's energy and it's information. And it's, you know, and so the first part at getting good and feeling it out is just making friends with all that stuff that's happening in your body because it's there for you, not against you. Yeah. And (laughs) so why, why do you think that is? Like, why do you think over the last however many decades that seemed to be the conversation? Like, not at work, not at the table, mm. go to your room, get yourself together, come back. Right. Like we're not yeah. going to talk about this, just figure it out and come back. Like, yeah. why do you think that that was like that for so long? You know, gosh, there, I, there are so many opinions about this. And <laughs> I would say, you know, it's, I think when we're not friends with ourselves, when we don't totally claim who we are and we don't embrace and we don't understand emotions as information, then we're going to be very uncomfortable seeing it in others. Mm. And so I think then we can't, and because we can't regulate that and because we can't manage our own discomfort because we don't know ourselves and we don't know emotion, then the only thing to do is shut it down. So when we think back to all the decades of parenting and all of how, you know, our parents, our parents, parents, our parents, parents, parents were raised, it's, you know, children are to be seen, not heard. You know, their boys don't cry. All of these things I think are reactions to an inability to handle the discomfort of not understanding, or at least mm-hmm. not embracing this very human aspect to us. Mm-hmm. So you have children, one is 14, mm-hmm. but you have multiple children. Yes. I have two. Yes. Yeah. And nine. Okay. Yeah. And nine. Yeah. And so, um, okay. So this is an interesting conversation. So there's five years between them ish four and a half yeah depending yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah where they are in the year but okay um so what like how ha- how do i want to ask this like how have you seen the their emotional growth um grow over time in in the perspective of like the gap like there's a four and a half year gap so like what is that gap look like from an emotional feeling perspective how far do they grow within that four and a half years so meaning what's the difference between my two children and like their emotional? Yeah. So like between a nine-year-old and a 14, oh, like how I much see, progress, you know, will, will we see from nine to 14? Oh my gosh. Well, <laughs> God, that's a, that's another huge conversation and no, in no way am I an expert. I'm just a mom and in, in this trying to do my best. And, you know, I'll tell you, it's, I just, I think the only thing I can answer with is I look at my two amazing children and they are so different. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it's, it is so interesting to me how, and it's a beautiful thing. You know, I, my husband and I, I think we've relatively stayed the same and yet we've given birth to these two very different humans. And yeah. that's a wonderful thing. You know, and my 14 year old is quite stoic and he's also at that stage in life where his, you know, acceptance 
is everything that social acceptance is now paramount to mom and dad's acceptance. And so he's kind of pushing us away while he's, and he's very embarrassed by everything that I do. Cause you know, it's like, mom, stop. You're talking too loud. Mom, stop laughing. That's too much. Mom, be quiet. Mom, mom. And I'm like, oh my God, child, leave me alone. <laughs> and so, you know, he's, he's, so he's like trying to hold it in. And so he's going through that stage of life, you know, and then my, my nine-year-old is now going, is growing into that phase where feelings are really big and things are changing. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so they're feeling things that they can't understand and it's very frustrating for them. And so it's, it's having to kind of be with both realities and I, I don't know how to answer this other than it's just magical, Amy. I mean, just it's, yeah. it's a, a magical <laughs> and mysterious experience and it's the blessing and yeah, and it's work. Yeah. <laughs> Every single day, I'm sure. You know, that's you, right, bring, that's you right. do bring up an interesting mm -hmm. conversation, one that I do like to talk about a lot, which is I, I look at it from my perspective of my brother and I and how different we are. I mean, we're very much the same, but we're very, very different individuals. And it's like, it's so interesting to me how we both grew up and we're a year and a half apart, how we both grew up in the same household, yeah. very close to the same age with the same things given to, and yet we turned out so different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Isn't it's it wild, incredible? isn't yeah. it? it yeah. And it's, I mean, and this is what I just think makes life so amazing. And it's just the diversity. I mean, yeah. and that, and that we want it to be that way. Oh my gosh. You know, Yeah, we want it to be that way. Yeah. I think it, it really lends itself well to just saying, you know, like your environment, your external factors are just one little aspect of who you are. Right. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, the parenting plays a big part. Your environment plays a big, it, it all plays a big part, but then there's just, you know, some magic in each of us that's unique, yeah. you know, yeah. yep. <laughs> the genes. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> DNA and all the that's things. right yeah that's right I like to say it takes all kinds to make the world go round so that is right um, that is right and I'm happy you are one of those people that make the world go round and you are oh. one of those people that make this world a better place and so for that mm -hmm. I honor you I think that that's oh. amazing you're doing good work in this world um, thank you right back at you friend oh uh, thanks the same. No. <laughs> thank you Amy squared yeah. here Amy there squared just changing the world <laughs> there we go that's exactly right yeah okay so I have one last question for you Yes. And it is a two-part question. Okay. Ask all my guests the same question, and it's this. If you only had seven more days left to live, what would you do? Mm. Well, you know, immediately what comes to mind is to be with the people that, and it's my family, it's my my children, my husband, my parents, who are my closest friends, my sister, my brother, the people that I love absolutely, that is just, it is the reason I live to all be together. My first thought was, I just want to cuddle on the couch and hold my babies for seven <laughs> days, you know, but then I'm like, wait, no, you know, for seven days, let's go experience as much as we can all together and laugh and love and then let the apocalypse come, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why it would end in seven days, but I would just, you know, it just, it all comes down to the love of my my family that I just adore and yeah. to uh, experience all that we can. Beautiful. So the second part of the question is if you only had seven more days left to live, but you were in a debilitated state, so you couldn't go out and adventure and all we had left were your words. What was, what would be the last bit of advice that you would want to give the world? The last bit of advice to give to the world. 
You know, it's interesting. The thing that comes to me is it's, it's it, there's nothing to be afraid of. <laughs> you know, fear is the thing that gets in the way of, of really living, of being present, of feeling love, of feeling purpose, of feeling connected. And, you know, some people are going to push back on this, but fear is a choice. And we could say, well, you know, but there's this inborn fear of uncertainty. There's this inborn fear of the unknown. And I'm like, well, yeah, that can that can come up, but you don't have to choose it. And so I would say if it's just me that's expiring in seven days, I don't know if the message would land all that well. If it's everyone that's expiring in seven <laughs> days, then maybe it might, might be a bit more relevant. But yeah, I would... I would say really, you know, take a look at this relationship you have to fear and do what you can to not choose it. Awesome. Amy, thank you so much for unlocking happiness with us today. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. It's been such a joy. Amy Dix here. Thank you so much for listening to Unlocking Happiness. I hope you love the show. And if you did, post a link to your social media, tag a friend and hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts. Help spread more happiness in the world by leaving us a review. If you would like to learn more about what we do, visit choose-happy.me. And if you want to be a future guest, click on the podcast tab to see if you can be our next guest. Or if you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag Unlocking Happiness with Amy Dix. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs ups, reviews, and ratings go a long way to help promote the show and mean the world to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, choose-happy.me or join our Facebook group called The Happiest Group on Facebook. Thanks for listening. This is Amy Dix and we will see you next time.